Good morning. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for this time that we'll share. Lord, I pray today in, in particular that um, your words would penetrate, that you would open the eyes and the, the ears of the hearts of people. And Father, let there be revelation, not just information. So let this word penetrate deep and let it not return void. I lift this all to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are a lot of things in life that are a mystery to me. And probably the one that comes to mind most, uh, most obviously <clears throat> is um, air travel. See, um, every time I get on an airplane to go anywhere, <clears throat> more often than not, I sit there and um, I'm, I'm just kind of in awe of the fact that um, this huge tube <laughs> with all these people can actually get off the ground. And so I did a little bit of research, and I, you know, just to sort of satisfy my own curiosity, and I found out, found what's called the max takeoff weight for two of the most commonly used commercial airlines, the uh, Boeing, Boeing 737 and the Boeing 747. Now, the 737 has a max takeoff weight of 75 tons. The 747 has a max takeoff weight of 450 tons. Okay, that's 900,000 pounds. And it just blows my mind that anything that big can actually get airborne, much less, you know, fly for hundreds or thousands of miles. Now, you know, if you had seen me play basketball, you'd understand why anything that can get airborne um, <laughs> amazes me because it was not a skill that I possessed in great... Uh, quantity. Now, and yes, I understand that I could go to school and I could take classes on physics and on aerodynamics and probably a host of other subjects and, and, and get myself to the point where I could demystify the subject of flight and how that happens. But I don't think that's really practical. And honestly, I'm perfectly fine with it being a mystery. I can just, you know, get on the plane and off I go. And I, I would imagine that there's probably a lot of things in life that are mysteries to all of you. We're sort of thinking about this. And, and so, for example, like, are black-eyed peas really peas? That's sort of a mystery to me. Um, or, where did it go? Why is a grapefruit called that? when it bears absolutely no resemblance to another fruit called a grape? It's a mystery, right? Um, why do we have a, oh, wait a minute, that's not the one. There it is. Why do we have a racket sport and a vegetable that are named exactly the same thing? Very good. And then finally, what prompted somebody to be the first person to say, hmm, 
I'd like some of those. Yeah, how hungry would you have to be? Right? Now, admittedly, those are sort of frivolous. But there are a lot of practical mysteries that we deal with on an on everyday basis, too. For example, everybody here can turn on a light switch. But I would imagine that very few of you could actually explain how electricity works. That's kind of a mystery to us. Um, by the same token, all of us more than likely talk on cell phones. But again, if you asked us to uh, talk about how sound travels and how we can transmit it and capture it and receive it, um, it's kind of a mystery. We can all drive a car, presumably, most of us. But if you asked me or many of you to explain how an internal combustion engine worked, it'd be a mystery. But here's the thing about all those. That no matter what may seem mysterious to us, whether it's air travel or electricity or cell phones or automobiles, or really any one of a number of other mysteries that we might encounter on a daily basis, there's, there's good news in this. And the good news is that we don't have to understand something to benefit from it. Okay? We don't have to understand a mystery to get benefit from a mystery. See, when I get in on an airplane, the flight attendants don't quiz me on aerodynamics or propulsion, or anything like that. I buy a ticket, they let me on. <laughs> By the same token, nobody is going to ask you to prove that you understand how electrons can flow through a wire before you can turn the light switch on. You just get to turn it on, or plug something in. And this is especially good news when it comes to the good news, or the gospel of Jesus. Because today we're going to look at something that even the Apostle Paul termed a mystery. And that is the idea of Christ in you. So if you have a Bible and would like to turn with me, we're going to look at uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. But we will also have it up here um, if you do not have a Bible with you. So Colossians 1, 24 through 27. Okay. So Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, and he says this. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Paul does like his run-on sentences, doesn't he? To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, I'm not going to stand here 
and tell you that I can explain this mystery. I mean, I'm certainly no Apostle Paul, and I can't even explain air travel or electricity or sound or engines anyway. And so this would be a huge jump. But what I am able to help with, I think, is to provide a way of thinking about this mystery that puts us in a position to be able to benefit more from it. And after all, that's really what we're after, right? We want to be able to benefit from God's word. So to sort of begin this, I'm just going to draw a line. All right? And I want you to think that on either side, top or bottom of this line, is a realm. All right? So we're going to call the top of the line the eternal realm. And below the line is going to be the temporal realm. Right. Now, the eternal could also be called or referred to as the spirit realm, so we're going to label that as the unseen, the, the things that we really cannot see. And the temporal is really just the physical world that we live in, so we're going to refer to that as the seen. Okay. So we have the eternal and the unseen, and we have the temporal and the seen. So the temporal is this physical world, and... Uh, the eternal is sort of the spirit realm. Now, it's important to know that in practice, there's no line, right? We understand that. These two realms coexist. Same time, same space. But because um, we tend to think in concepts, it's a little bit easier, I think, for us to understand it if we sort of break it down like this. So that's why I'm doing this this way. So the realm Above the line is the invisible and the eternal. It's changeless and timeless. It's the realm of God's spirit. It's the realm of absolutes. It's the realm of ultimate reality, of the uncreated, of completeness and wholeness, where things are finished and settled. The eternal realm can be illustrated by the word now. It's the realm of God's I am, where things simply are. Now the realm below the line is visible and temporary, and we call that the natural realm. The Apostle Paul referred to it as this age. It's the created realm of matter, of things that we need, of us being in process. It has a beginning and an end, so it's time-based. It's the realm of past, present, and future, of birth and life, sowing and growing and reaping. It's a realm of activity and process and need. It's a realm where we might often say something like, I want to grow in Christ. It's a realm in which we see both good and evil. Now, as we referred to the realm above as the realm of I am, the seen and temporal realm we could really think of as I am becoming. 
And there's a number of scripture verses that illustrate the difference really between these two realms. When in, in the book of Exodus in chapter 3, when Moses asked God what his name was, he said simply, I am who I am. He told Moses to tell the Hebrews that I am has, has sent you. God's very name indicates this changeless, timeless, eternal, present tense nature of his being. Jesus used the same language to refer to himself. In John chapter 8, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. The author of Hebrews stated that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. God is the unseen, eternal, timeless, changeless one. But then there was an appointed time, and I am went below the line. And he entered the scene in the temporal realm that he himself had created. John 1.14 tells us, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The changeless, timeless one had become a seen and temporal man. And as a man, Jesus experienced all that we experienced below the line. He had a past, a present, and a future. He experienced growth, both as a child and as an adult. And he had needs, just like any person. And in sort of a similar way, we, as God's children, live in both places. We live both above the line and below the line. The verse that probably illustrates this best is Hebrews 10.14, which it says, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Perfected forever those who are being sacrificed, sanctified, not sacrificed. Different, different religion. God has already perfected those of us who are in Christ. We're complete in him. We are his righteousness. We're holy and blameless. These are truths, and they are above-the-line truths. Okay? They, are, they exist in that unseen and eternal realm in God's kingdom, in the spirit realm of things. They really are what form our identity. When we refer to ourselves as new creations, as sons and daughters whom God has birthed, that's what we're talking about in that, the realm of eternal. But below the line, it's a different story. Below the line, we're still in that sanctification process. You know, we have needs, our emotions fluctuate, our behavior changes, we experienced growth, we even fall back a little bit. And it's important that we understand the distinction between these two, and I think there's three primary reasons why we have to, why we have to know that. The first 
is that God has designed his kingdom to work by faith. See, God could have placed the eternal in the visible realm. Could have just taken that line out, so to speak, and it all had been the same thing. And if that had happened, then his eternal kingdom could be plainly seen. But if he had done that, there would be no need for faith, would there? Everything would be exactly as it appears to be. And faith would be pointless. But the whole universe operates on faith. And we in particular are designed to operate by faith. And we are given the privilege of being able to kind of look through the seen and the temporal realm into the unseen and eternal. And it's by God's spirit that we can discern, you know, what from God's perspective is taking place in this seen and temporal world around us. That's how Jesus lived. He saw the seen and the temporal realm that was all around him. But when the man with the withered hand stretched it out, Jesus didn't see that withered hand as ultimate. When they brought Jesus five loaves and two fish, he didn't see that insufficiency as ultimate. When they took him to the house where a young girl had died, Jesus didn't see that death as ultimate. In each of those cases, Jesus saw beyond the outward appearance to what his father was doing. He lived in another realm. He invites you and me to do the very same thing. The second reason this distinction is important is because it enables us to truly understand our identity in Christ. You see, as believers, we are constantly confronted by our failures, our sins, our shortcomings, and those are all below-the-line realities, not denying that they don't exist. But unless we understand that our true eternal identity lies above the line in our spirit, which is the identity that God gave us at our new birth, we're habitually going to draw our identity from our below-the-line performance, whether it's good or bad. Our focus is always going to be on trying to clean up our act and look good enough for God to accept That's where almost all Christians are trying to live. But you know what they're doing? Do you know what you're doing? You're trying to become something that God already says you are. We've got it backwards. In God's economy, in the seen realm, we become... Because in the unseen realm, we already are. Mm -hmm. 
get that? And see, as we know and we rest in this unseen and eternal realm, God will then manifest that truth more and more in this temporal realm below. Now remember the verse that I just quoted a moment ago, Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering he has perfected forever above the line those who are being sanctified below the line. Perfected forever. Hallelujah. Perfect. Okay? And so in this unseen and eternal realm, God has already perfected us. And in the seen and temporal realm, he's bringing into completion, he's bringing into perfection, he's bringing that into view. That's why we can say we are a complete and new creation while simultaneously we can also say that there's a process going on. But from God's point of view, we're a finished product. And in the scene in the temporal realm, he's continuing to work that truth deeper and deeper into us so that we begin to conform to his image. The third reason why I think it's important to understand this distinction is because God has designed us so that the only place that we can truly find fulfillment is in the unseen and eternal. Now the seen and temporal realm certainly offers many pleasures that God has provided, but that none ultimately satisfy. That's why Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. There isn't anything below the line, no matter how beautiful, no matter how touching, no matter how true, that equals the life that Jesus alone provides. We find true life only above the line in God. God's created each one of us with this thirst that he's the only one that can quench. That's why if we don't understand that, we're constantly seeking for something. And to whatever degree that we don't understand this dynamic, then we're going to continue to seek answers in the temporal realm below, in the physical. But what's, do you see what's wrong with that? You're looking for eternal answers in a temporary place. And eventually we all discover that we're not going to find them there hopefully sooner rather than later. You save yourself a lot of trouble if you could get, if you kind of get a hold of this sooner rather than later. Because the fact is we're programmed for failure if we're going to look for ultimate answers in a non-ultimate realm. 
in a realm that's partial and fragmented and incomplete. We end up worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And I think it's part of God's program to make us dissatisfied with what the temporal realm offers so that we have no choice but to seek him for more. A life of faith, a life that includes our true identity and our fulfillment are all based above the line in the unseen and the eternal. problem is that we can't see it. We can't learn of it through some sort of an empirical investigation. It's actually right here. It's right inside. But we can only understand that if God reveals that to us. First Corinthians 2.10 and then verse 12 says, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. We are completely dependent on the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. And to whatever degree that the Holy Spirit has revealed to us the unseen and eternal realm, we will live in it. But to whatever degree we don't understand that, to whatever degree we just don't quite get that, that, that doesn't you know, comprehend or doesn't compute, then we're going to be locked into living down below. And there comes a point when God sort of breaks through our consciousness and reveals these eternal truths that aren't discernible in the realm of appearances. And you have one of those aha moments. You ever have those? I used to have them with math problems. <laughs> Trying to figure out an equation or something, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's how that works. It's the same thing here. We, we have them as part of our spiritual journey. And we have them progressively. I don't think we get, we don't get it all at once. We couldn't handle it if we got it all at once. Right? So what's, what's the, probably the first revelation that you get as you start on this journey? Well, I think it's the revelation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and is the Savior of the world. God has to reveal that to us. The, the natural man doesn't know that. And he can't know it even if he hears it over and over again. Because it's only the Holy Spirit that can reveal that to him, to us. And so we get that revelation. It finally is like, oh yeah, I see that now. I don't know um, if you've seen The Shack yet. Uh, Sally and I saw it last night. And um, there's, a, there's a moment that, is, um, that, that encapsulates this very well. 
with the main character, where it's finally, uh, okay, now I understand. And so we, we place our faith in Jesus, right? That's kind of step one. That's the first little bit of revelation we get. Then I think from that point on, probably the next great revelation is the fact that our sins are forgiven. Nothing in the seen and temporal realm tells us that. The Holy Spirit reveals it. And I would say, unfortunately, that's where a lot of us live for a long time. We're sort of happy with that. I mean, it is good news. But God will continue to reveal more truth to you. Lainey and I were talking before the service about you know, how, how God will progressively, just when you think you sort of understand how much he loves you, God will open that window a little wider and a little bit more comes in. And then you think, oh, that's amazing. That's got to be it. He pulls the window up a little bit more and more comes in. You're like, oh, Lord, there can't be any more than that. It's one of those windows that just never, there's no end to how far open it can go. And so God will continue to reveal these things to us. And like I said, we have to live below the line, but we aren't really below the line people. We're not supposed to be. We're of God's kingdom. Now we live in a realm that differs greatly from what God sees in the unseen and the eternal. And so this whole process of spiritual growth is really a process of replacing temporal appearances with eternal reality. And then beginning to live out of that. And so I think, you know, as you know inner life and as you have that life of the Spirit, you really can't help but live it. You know, we, we live what we believe. You really can't escape that. And so that's why I think it's so important that we begin to understand and get revelation about this unseen and eternal realm. Because the more we begin to understand that, the less oriented we are, we then become to what is in this physical realm and it begins to exercise less control over us. Now, you know, for example, Paul tells us in Romans 6 that we died to sin and we're free from it. That's an unseen and eternal truth. Sin no longer has any power over us. But if you don't know and live that unseen and eternal truth, then sin still exercises power over you. And once again, it's because we're caught in this trap of trying to become something that we already are, free from sin. And so we're never going to really 
know this abundant life that Jesus talks about until that unseen and eternal realm is our home on an everyday basis. Until then, all we can do is live according to appearances. And appearances are never going to lead us deeper into a life of God. Only faith can do that. God wants to bring you to the point where you say, I live by what God says about the things in my life, whether they're situations or people or yourself. Then you'll see what he sees. We'll start discerning that situations aren't really maybe as they appear, but that God's absolutes are operating in that realm of appearances. You will rest in that unseen and eternal realm and will experience his fullness within us. Now, if you get nothing else from this message today, I want you to get this. That in our daily lives as believers, the most important thing you can know from the unseen and eternal realm is that you and God are one. You are in union. Now I know that sounds heretical. But that's what the Bible says. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. 1 Corinthians 6.17 God has permanently joined himself to your spirit. Your spirit and he are one. when we begin to sort of know that and to live out of that truth, then the promises that are in the New Testament stop seeming like they're unattainable. It becomes a daily reality. We understand that there is no more separation, God up there and us down here. And we cease all the striving that we're constantly doing to try to get closer to God. We stop asking the questions, well, how do I reach him? Give me the programs, give me the plans, give me the seven steps, 10 steps, 13 steps to draw closer to God. Instead, you'll start living out of what is already true. We live in union. God and you are one. In the seen and temporal, he operates as you, and you rest in him. Now remember what I said back near the beginning of this message, that you don't have to understand something to benefit from it? Just because you don't understand how what God says about you is true doesn't make it any less true. It's no different than not understanding how electricity works but being able to turn a light switch on. And what God says about you is that if you have believed in Christ, you are complete in Christ. 
that you are already holy. That you are already perfect. That you are his righteousness. There's nothing else to be done except believe. Laney, you want to come up? I did want to just tag on something really quick because I feel like it's so important for us to so get this. So if you, could, if you could just close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. And I want you to picture yourself standing in front of a mirror. Right? Can you see your, your reflection? Okay. Now I want you to envision all the things that you dislike the most about yourself. Okay? And now see God. He's, he's coming right up on your right side. And he's whispering in your ear. And he says, that's not how I see you. That's not who you really are. That's not your identity. You're not defined by the things that you hate about yourself. And actually, they have no power over you. They have absolutely no power over you. And I just hear him start saying, you're mine. You are my beloved. I am well pleased with you. You are my good and faithful servant. With one look, from your eyes, you capture my heart. You are my beloved. That's, that's how I see you. I see you as a lover. I see you with the intimacy of a husband. I see your weakest points and I see them as your greatest strengths. Jesus. Lady begins to play. 
my sense for ministry this morning really involved two things. First of all, if you have never actually made a commitment to Jesus, and I mean never, and then if this message has resonated with you and you say, gosh, this is something want to invite you to come up not not right at the moment here in a minute but come up and find me and I would love to pray with you but the other side of that is that so many Christians have lived for so long without really understanding who they are in Christ they live in that sense of revelation that my sins are forgiven but have never gone much further. And so if that's you, if that speaks to you, then I also would like you to come up, and I would like to ask John and Christy to come up too. And uh, and honestly, if you already know who you are and you feel like you've really got a grasp on that, then I would ask you to come up and pray for those that don't. Because we talk all the time about this concept that we like to practice, that there are no spiritual superstars, that I'm no different than any of you in terms of the way God sees me or how God can use me. I've just been called to do something a little different than you have when it comes to prayer, when it comes to praying with your brothers and sisters, you all have that gift. You all have that ability. So what I would like is that if you are still sort of trying to get that revelation of identity, then I would just ask you to come up front, just close your eyes and hold out your hands. And that'll, that'll let the folks praying know that you are you would like prayer. And if you feel like you understand that, if you're comfortable with your identity and you understand who you are in Jesus, then I invite you to come up and just find somebody that needs prayer and pray with them. So come.